Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A district attorney charges actor Alec Baldwin for involuntary manslaughter after he shot and killed a cinematographer on set. His lawyer says they'll fight the charges. President Biden's approval rating dropping to near its lowest level amid the classified document scandal. Meanwhile, former President Trump says it double standard is being applied in the investigations. The U.S. maxes out on its debt, and the Biden administration puts pressure on Congress to raise the limit again. The U.S. is expected to announce a major military aid package to help Ukraine fend off Russian forces in Crimea. If approved, it would be one of the biggest packages announced since the war began. And in New York, a growing number of criminal cases getting thrown out. What's behind it? A former NYPD analyst blames certain changes to state law. A New Mexico district attorney will be charging Hollywood actor Alec Baldwin for involuntary manslaughter. Baldwin fatally shot a cinematographer and wounded the director on set in 2021. A Santa Fe district attorney announced Thursday that Alec Baldwin will be charged before the end of the month for fatally shooting a cinematographer on set in 2021. The incident happened during a rehearsal of the upcoming film Rust. District attorney Mary Carmack Altwees made the statement on social media without public appearances. She said, after a thorough review of the evidence and the laws of the state of New Mexico, I have determined that there is sufficient evidence to file criminal charges against Alec Baldwin and other members of the Rust film crew. Cinematographer Helena Hutchins died shortly after being wounded by a gunshot during setup for a scene at the ranch on the outskirts of Santa Fe. Baldwin was pointing a pistol at Hutchins when the gun went off, killing her and wounding the director, Joel Souza. Baldwin has sought to clear his name by suing people involved in handling and supplying the loaded gun that was handed to him on set. Baldwin, also a co-producer on Rust, said he was told the gun was safe. Baldwin and the armorer who oversaw firearms on the set, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, will each be charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter. The actor's lawyer, Luke Nikas, told The Post, this decision distorts Helena Hutchins' tragic death and represents a terrible miscarriage of justice, and that they will fight the charges and win. Gutierrez-Reed also denies responsibility. Her lawyer, Jason Bowles, told The Post, Hannah is and has always been very emotional and sad about this tragic accident, but she did not commit involuntary manslaughter. Hutchins' death has influenced negotiations over safety provisions in film crew union contracts with Hollywood producers. Filmmakers are also choosing computer-generated imagery of gunfire with blank ammunition to minimize risks, rather than real weapons. And President Biden is in California today, touring the storm-ravaged communities there, meeting with business owners and affected residents. But questions about his handling of classified documents cast a pall over the visit. Amid the scandal, a new poll says the president's approval rating has dropped. NTD's Iris Tao has more. Amid the fallout of the documents debacle, a new poll finds Biden's approval rating dropped to 40 percent, close to the lowest point of his presidency, which was 36 percent in May and June. And that's as Biden, on his way out of the White House Thursday morning, once again ignored reporters' questions about the classified documents found at his home and office. President, 
Can you tell us a little bit more about your decision? Mr. President, are you satisfied with the way your team is handling the document? The new approval numbers comes from a Reuters Ipsos poll that concluded this Sunday, a day after the White House confirmed that a third batch of documents was found. But a White House spokeswoman who was accompanying Biden on his trip to California Thursday to survey storm damage defended Biden's record. Look, I would just say that there's other polling out there that shows that the president, uh, his support continues to grow. Inflation is down, gas prices is are down $1.70 uh, from their peaks. And so these are the kinds of numbers that I think also matter to the president. It's true that not all polls find Biden's approval rating dropping, but it is notable that the Reuters numbers draw a sharp contrast from earlier this month, when Biden's approval rating climbed to 44 percent, the highest point in over a year. As to the documents, the White House continues to defer all questions. And I have to refer you to my colleagues in White House Counsel's office. I'm just not going to have anything new for you today on this. While Republicans are criticizing the administration for not telling the public about the discovery quickly, a White House spokesperson tells CNN that a scandal won't affect Biden's decision or the timing of his expected 2024 announcement. Sources told Reuters that Biden is expected to launch his second run for the White House, perhaps as soon as next month, after the State of the Union address slated for February 7th. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Meanwhile, former President Trump threw in his two cents about Biden's files in a short video message today. He's scheduled to give a speech in Miami this evening. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. At the very same moment when my ultra-secure Mar-a-Lago home was raided by the FBI, Joe Biden was harboring classified documents in his China-funded Penn Center and his unsecured garage. Former President Trump says there are two standards of justice in this country, referring to the two investigations into documents with classified markings held by himself and by President Biden. In a Truth Social post on Thursday, Trump once again blasted Biden and the Justice Department. In addition to comparing how each president stored the documents, Trump compared the two special counsels assigned to investigate each case. I'm being persecuted by Trump-hating special counsel. Joe Biden, in the meantime, is being given white glove treatment. The message comes as Trump gears up for a big political speech in Miami on Thursday night. As he rolls out his 2024 presidential campaign, he's promising greater things ahead. In a post on Truth Social, he said many giant rallies and other events coming up soon. While Trump gets ready for the campaign trail, an independent Ron DeSantis political action committee has plans to spend $3.3 million to support the Florida governor. The PAC, dubbed Ready for Ron, isn't officially connected to DeSantis, but they're hopeful he'll run for president in 2024. And as governor, DeSantis is taking actions that he says the current president won't. Last week, DeSantis warned potential Chinese investors in Florida land to stay out of the Sunshine State. And in previous years, he has taken actions to protect Florida citizens from the ongoing border crisis. In a recent interview with Tucker Carlson, DeSantis criticized President Biden for failing to intercept boatloads of migrants entering the Straits of Florida. Arlene Richards, NTD News. No more proxy voting on the Hill. 
House Republicans ended the practice today. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy tweeted, quote, members of Congress have to show up to work if they want their vote to count. Proxy voting had allowed lawmakers to submit a letter and have a colleague announce their position on bills. The colleague could even cast votes in their name. The practice was first established in 2020 by then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, so lawmakers wouldn't have to vote in person. It was supposed to curb the spread of COVID-19. And America has reached its $31.4 trillion debt limit. Now the Treasury is taking what it calls extraordinary measures to avoid defaulting on its debt for the first time in history. NTD's Melina Wisecup reports. The Treasury has hit its borrowing cap. It's now taking steps like suspending new investments to prevent a financial meltdown. Congress must raise the cap, but a political battle is sure to play out before they agree on a solution. Congress passed spending bills. Congress passed tax bills. As a matter of mathematics, that means Congress has to, the U.S. government has to borrow. Congress has raised the debt limit 78 times since 1960. The last time was just one year ago when lawmakers raised the debt by $2.5 trillion. This has happened under Republican presence. It's happened under Democratic presence. It needs to happen again. Potential consequences of a long standoff range from market turmoil, which could crash Americans' retirement accounts, to the government being forced to prioritize federal payments, deciding which will come first among Social Security, federal salaries, and other payments. Not paying our bills hurts the American people because we're going to have to pay higher taxes to pay the higher interest rate. So these so-called extraordinary measures that the Treasury now says it's using will allow for a couple of months of wiggle room before the U.S. actually defaults on its debt. Uh, and during this time, Congress will be trying to reach an agreement on uh, raising the debt limit, although the White House says they believe this issue should be non-negotiable and they expect Congress to simply raise the debt limit with no questions asked. Of course, we see the same sentiment uh, echoed by some Democrats on Capitol Hill um, who their argument is that Republicans have actually helped to accrue some of this debt through signing off on some spending measures over the past couple of years. And they say that now those Republicans need to be responsible for signing off on those spending measures. Um, but House Republicans now with their slim majority are trying to use this as an opportunity to negotiate for stricter budget measures. So some ideas that are being floated are things like returning back to spending levels of fiscal year 2022, Others are like what Congressman Ralph Norman has proposed, which is a dollar for dollar cut, meaning that for every dollar we raise the debt by, they should find cuts elsewhere. Um, but Speaker McCarthy has said that House Republicans will be looking at all areas of spending that includes defense and non-defense to see where they can cut so-called wasteful spending. And if House Republicans do hold a hard line on this, it will essentially force Senate Democrats to work with them on it, although leadership in the Senate has said they don't want to negotiate this issue at all. So this will be a political battle that we can't expect to see play out over the next over the next couple of months. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. The U.S. is expected to finalize another military aid package to Ukraine, totaling $2.5 billion, according to sources who leaked the news to media outlets on Thursday. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. As the Biden administration warms up to providing Kyiv with more firepower, reports are swirling that the U.S. is on the verge of sealing another military aid package deal with Ukraine to the tune of $2.5 billion. 
If approved, this would be one of the biggest packages announced since the war began. News outlets reported that two inside sources said the package will be discussed at a meeting of allies in Germany on Friday. The package is expected to include 50 armored Bradley fighting vehicles, also 100 striker tank vehicles. The U.S. has appropriated more than $110 billion for Ukraine since the invasion began. Some don't think it's a good idea. Sending unaccountable pallets of cash to any country is dumb. A, it's not good geopolitics, and B, it smacks of corruption. Alleged corruption aside, it appears that Biden has recently softened his stance against providing Kyiv with weapons to target the Crimea. Russia has been using the Crimean Peninsula as a base for launching disastrous strikes against Kyiv. It's home to tens of thousands of Russian troops and numerous Russian military bases. Biden has been concerned that such a move would risk increasing escalation to a nuclear war. Now he believes providing the additional tanks would strengthen Kyiv's defense against Crimea. But Germany won't send its homemade tanks. Although Germany has allied with the U.S. to support Ukraine, it has so far refused to send German-made tanks as additional aid. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin met with his German counterpart on Thursday to press for transfer of the tanks. Many allies say Germany's Leopard tanks, which were exported to allies during the Cold War, are more suitable because there's a large number of them. Germany has said it will allow the transfer only if the U.S. agrees to send U.S.-made tanks as well. Meanwhile, the threat of a nuclear war resurges. On Thursday, former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev warned that a Russian defeat would trigger a nuclear war. Critics say the message is meant to deter the NATO alliance from getting more involved in the war and recognizes that Russia might lose on the battlefield. Arlene Richards, NTD News. With the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade coming up, the Supreme Court today says it still doesn't know who leaked the overturning draft opinion last year. In a statement, the court said the investigation team hasn't been able to, quote, identify a person responsible by the preponderance of the evidence. A computer hack isn't likely either. Investigators said they conducted over 120 interviews with 97 employees, and all of them denied disclosing the opinion. Meanwhile, the FBI is offering a $25,000 reward for information related to a series of attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers. In a statement released today, the Bureau says it can investigate the crimes as potential acts of domestic violent extremism or other violations, depending on the facts of each case. The announcement comes after some pro-life centers in New York hired private investigators, saying there's been a lack of response from federal law enforcement. And more and more criminal cases in New York State are being dismissed. A new report now blames a change to the criminal justice system. However, the change in question isn't the so-called bail reform. On Thursday, the Manhattan Institute published an article describing how New York State's discovery law destabilizes the criminal justice system. The article's author is Hannah Myers, a former intelligence analyst at the NYPD. Myers argues that New York's discovery law caused a spike in the dismissal of criminal cases in the state. The law was implemented in January of 2020. In 2019, before the law took effect, Prosecutors dismissed around 44% of all cases in New York City. That number went up to almost 70% in 2021. 
At the same time, guilty pleas went down from 45% in 2019 to only about 21% in 2021. Myers says the discovery law is to blame for that. The law basically cuts down the time for the prosecution to hand over relevant materials to defense attorneys, which many prosecutors say makes their jobs too difficult. The report shows that statewide during 2021, prosecutors managed to file relevant paperwork within 20 days in only 21% of cases. In the county of Albany, that number was as low as 2%. Myers writes in her report, the new discovery rules are so bad that even famously progressive Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg complained about it, saying, my office's lawyers and support staff continue their Herculean efforts in managing discovery-related obligations. The study also found that in many cases, when prosecutors were actually able to file paperwork within 20 days, defense attorneys didn't look at it. In many jurisdictions, defense attorneys were failing to download discovery packages within their 30-day windows in over half of cases. Myers says the defense can simply delay filing motions, which will lead to prosecutors reaching the time limit at which they have to dismiss the case. The Legal Aid Society reportedly commented on the findings, telling the New York Post, our team downloads discovery and disseminates evidence typically within 24 to 48 hours. The report's author is either a liar or is so credulous and unconcerned with verifying facts that she should not be taken seriously. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. Pfizer partner BioNTech has responded to NTD's request for comment on our Tuesday report about the latest Twitter files drop. Author Lee Fong, who posted the files, alleged BioNTech pressured Twitter to censor activists speaking out against them. The activists demanded that BioNTech share its intellectual property rights to COVID vaccines so others could make generic versions for poor countries. BioNTech's vice president of corporate communications said in an email that statements about censorship were false and that original emails to Twitter were exclusively about their own account when they received a security notice. And coming up, the U.S.'s new agreement with Canada and Mexico. What's in it and how might it affect you? And in the NHL, a coach continues to defend his players' freedom of religion during a Pride Night celebration. NTD's Dave Martin has that story. That and more coming up. In international news, the U.S. signed a declaration with Canada and Mexico last week, but you may not have heard of it. It hasn't had much traction in the media, so is it worth your time? Let's find out. Earlier today, I spoke with award-winning journalist Alex Newman for his analysis. Alex Newman, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Now, the Declaration of North America lays out a plan for closer cooperation between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada on issues like climate, inclusiveness, health, defense, and migration. But critics are worried that it could create more official pathways for migration between the three countries and even override America's sovereignty. What's your take on it? Uh, those are very well-founded concerns. And in fact, uh, none of this is a secret. If you listened 
to the comments that were made by President Biden, by Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, and by uh, Mexican President Lopez Obrador, uh, they were all very transparent about the fact that they want to make uh, make it easier for uh, massive flows of immigration to move between uh, the different nations under the guise of labor mobility. Uh, they, they use kind of fancy terms, I think, to confuse the public. But uh, Joe Biden, in, in a rare moment of, I think, very honest uh, transparency, said, uh, yeah, what we want to do is make it easier for migrants to get to the United States. We've got documents going back to at least 2005 from the U.S. Embassy in Canada showing that the plan is to ultimately bring about much deeper integration. Uh, in 2005, uh, the document from the U.S. Embassy in Ottawa mentioned a monetary union along the lines of what they have in Europe with the euro. Um, so this is a, it's an old agenda. It is an agenda to ultimately, I think, create what, uh, what several people, including the former president of Mexico, Vicente Fox, have described as a North American union. Uh, and that absolutely undermines American sovereignty. Uh, in fact, I would argue that it's already been undermined through the setting up of these North American tribunals, North American bureaucracies, uh, first under NAFTA and then later under the USMCA. And it's notable that of six pillars mentioned in the plan, diversity, equity and inclusion is the first. Migration is listed fourth, but it's largely focused on welcoming migrants, as you mentioned and combating xenophobia rather than stemming the influx of illegal immigrants. What do you think about the order of the priorities that are laid out there? <laughs> um, it, it's very interesting. I mean, it, they, they talk in their public statement as if these were the priorities of the Mexican people, the American people, and the Canadian people. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. People are really concerned about not being able to afford groceries. People are really concerned about skyrocketing electricity bills. Uh, people are really concerned about open borders and, and drug trafficking and, and uh, sex trafficking, right? These are the concerns of actual people. Um, and so I, I think this really illustrates uh, uh, a phenomenal level of tone deafness, right? Uh, to me, it shows that they're not listening to the people, that they're trying to uh, set the agenda in a way that I, I believe is really nefarious, so. You alluded to other goals mentioned, which include collaborating for the Paris Agreement and further preventing the spread of contagious diseases. Is there any concern here around those things? Yeah, I think there's a lot of concern. What the U.S. commitment under the Paris Agreement does is essentially um, undermine America's electricity grid, undermine America's economy, undermine America's manufacturing sector under the guise of slashing CO2 emissions, which is supposed to stave off this climate crisis. Uh, and yet, as I pointed out in my recent piece for the Epic Times, um, all it's really doing is shifting economic production, manufacturing, factories, jobs, uh, and of course, economic value creation over to China, where uh, every unit of economic output produces drastically more carbon dioxide uh, and releases that into the atmosphere. So the notion that this is somehow going to save the climate is positively ludicrous. Uh, and you can see that just in what the Paris Agreement does, right? Obama promised to reduce CO2 emissions in the United States by 28% by the year 2025. Uh, the CCP promised to continue increasing its CO2 emissions until at least 2030. And, and I mean, they said this publicly, right? Uh, and then they said they would peak in 2030 and then maybe start going down. But of course, they're building coal-fired power plants so quickly, there's absolutely no way that's actually going to happen. Uh, they'll be increasing their CO2 emissions long into the future. They already put out drastically more than uh, all of the Western economies combined. Uh, I think what's happening here, uh, they want to integrate the economies of Mexico, the United States, and Canada, and they see this as one more vehicle for doing that. And I think it's very telling that none of these agreements, not the Paris Agreement and not this Declaration of North America, uh, are being presented to the U.S. Senate for ratification as required under the U.S. Constitution.
So do you think that we'll see any legal challenges to it, considering that so many people are saying they think it's unconstitutional? Uh, I imagine we will see legal challenges to it, uh, and, and we have seen legal challenges to a lot of these things. I think from the plain text of the Constitution, this is clearly unconstitutional. Um, any treaty must be submitted to the Senate for ratification by two-thirds of the senators. Uh, and, and even with all that in mind, uh, the Senate can't just ratify any treaty. The federal government can't grant itself new powers merely by signing up to a treaty. Uh, Thomas Jefferson made this very clear. In fact, the Supreme Court made this clear in 1957 in the case of Reed versus Covert. The federal government cannot assume new powers through the treaty mechanism. If they want new powers, they actually have to go to the people and try to propose and then uh, approve a constitutional amendment. Uh, I don't anticipate them doing that. I think they'll continue to just hope that Americans don't pay attention and the courts will allow this to continue. All right, Alex Newman, award-winning international journalist, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Philadelphia Flyers coach John Tortorella continues to defend defenseman Ivan Provorov, saying he did nothing wrong. Now, Provorov declined to wear a Pride jersey and participate in pregame warm-ups Tuesday during the team's Pride night. When asked about it Thursday, Tortorella said, quote, Why would I bench him? Because of a decision he's making on his beliefs and his religion? Tortorella went on to explain that he respected him for it, saying, quote, This has to do with his belief and his religion. That's one thing I respect about Provi. He's always true to himself. The coach said he's learned from his past experience when he strongly disagreed with other players' protests that he can't push his feelings on others. For his part, Provorov said he respects everybody and everybody's choices, adding, quote, my choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. Meanwhile, in golf news, the Live Golf League has reached a TV deal with the CW Network to air their 14 events this season. The first round of each event will stream on the CW app while the second and third rounds will air live on both the channel and the app. Now, financial terms of the deal weren't announced, although ESPN is reporting that Liv won't receive any rights fees, has to pay their own production costs, and has to share revenues. Liv Golf's first event is scheduled to tee off on February 24th in Mexico. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has five games planned, featuring a finals rematch as the Boston Celtics host the defending champion Golden State Warriors. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL has 13 games on tap, including the Edmonton Oilers and star center Connor McDavid, who's on pace for a whopping 150 points, which will be the most in the league since Mario Lemieux scored 161 back in 1996. They host the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that's it for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.